Hi, everyone, and welcome to What Would My Shrink Say, a podcast where you get inside the heads of a couple psychologists and see life through their eyes. You'll never be the same. All right, Todd, continuing our series on assertiveness, Mm -hmm. this is part three. Part three. We have covered the importance of values for assertiveness. Ultimately, assertiveness is about going after what's most important to you. Um, So we talked about how the first step there is to really clarify those things that are really important to you Mm because you're going to have a hard time getting there if you're not sure where you're going, right? I think assertiveness would be a value-directed behavior. Yes. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah, okay. Um, And last time in part two, we talked about going, actually going after what you want, um, Mm -hmm. which is a big part of assertiveness. Once you've identified what you want, um, how do you actually go about approaching that or saying yes to those things you want, asking for what you want? Yeah, or or building up to that Mm -hmm. or how to chunk that or whatever it is, right? Yeah. Um, So I think... As much as uh, asking for what you want and moving towards what you want can be problematic for people, the other part of assertiveness I think that's really tough or can be is basically saying no to what you don't want or um, setting boundaries on what you don't want, things you don't want. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay. So why don't you lead this one off? Um, Where do you think... um, where do we start with uh, s- kind of setting boundaries on what we don't want? Because that's that's as much a part of assertiveness as going after what we do want. Yeah, and, it won't, and, and in certain cases, it can definitely be just like the opposite of <laughs> of um, going after something. It's more kind of protecting something or... Well, I like that, protecting, <clears throat> yeah. Right, yeah. I've got a client um, who's got a goal to really kind of get back into shape and go to the gym and what he's finding a lot is that um, other things he says yes to that may detract him or deter him from going to the gym. Uh And so he's learning now how to guard the time he's kind of set aside to go to the gym from other kind Mm -hmm. of competing values sometimes, Mm -hmm. uh, relationships, activities. And and it's it's been this really interesting kind of minefield for him Mm -hmm. to navigate. Yeah. That's a great, um, that's a great point. Cause I, I often think, um, if we're having trouble reaching our values, it's most of the time it's not because we, sometimes it's oh, because we're unclear on what our values are or mm-hmm. it's hard to ask for them. But a lot of times it's, it's not that we lack values or commitment towards going after our values, but that we get distracted by other values. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And or so other important things. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of a, a good way to frame this topic we're doing today, which is like you said, how to protect the most important values from um, maybe loud or appealing values that pull (laughs) you in directions that are not ultimately aligned with what's most important to you. Very true. Very true. And I think that this happens really frequently for a lot of people Mm -hmm. where life is just kind of funny and crazy making sometimes and chaotic and even though you may have the best intentions, there are lots of competing things that will gladly take up your time and attention. Yeah. yeah. So what what were some of those things for your client in particular? Like how was he getting distracted from his value of working out more? And what did he sort of do to 
protect that and kind of say no to those other competing values. Mm. You know, I, I will say at first, the, the thing we noticed the most was his own kind of struggle to just be assertive himself, get to the gym, right? That That's obviously okay. a hard one. He had mm-hmm. to kind of really deal with that. And we talked about that. Um, um, and, and actually, one, one thing that we didn't say is that once you kind of have a value in mind and you're heading towards that value, there's going to be lots of, or there can be maybe lots of negative emotional experiences even along that line, mm-hmm. right? So he would notice, man, it's hard. I've got to force myself. I don't want to go to the gym all the time. And so he had to learn how to override that, like, I don't want to yep. thing. But once he got fairly good at that, he kind of had some confidence, some efficacy in that area, and he mm-hmm. was kind of proud of himself. And what he noticed is that his girlfriend started saying, let's go to dinner. Let's go do this. And it was kind of right during the time when he would go to the gym. Mm. And it was interesting because he immediately was like, well, you know, that's an important relationship for me. I should probably do that. Yeah. And and that was his kind of initial reflexive thought. Yeah. She's important. We should go to dinner. I'll skip the gym today. Be fine. Which makes total sense. Like I could completely see myself doing oh, yeah, the same thing. Yeah, it's, it's because right? it's your wife or your girlfriend or your daughter, whatever it is. It's yeah. like, hey, dad. And you're and you're automatically like, hey, yeah. you're more important than me go to the gym, right? Which in wife, a way is gym. I'll go with wife, <laughs> right, right? right? I mean, what could make more sense? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and so, uh, but what he noticed is this was happening frequently, and, and starting to really kind of disrupt the goal that he had, and it, and it frustrated him, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we talked a lot about how to handle that because there's a competing value there. That relationship um, with his girlfriend was a value that he had. He wanted a healthy. Um, active relationship mm-hmm. with his partner, and he thought, mm, if I if I'm neglecting time with my partner, then then that's not a good thing at all either. So there's a competing value which is there. How would you handle that? It can be, well, first of all, I like the way you phrase that as competing values because it it doesn't imply that one is right and one is wrong. Very true. That you need to get rid of one so that you can go after the other. It's more about negotiating the the, the equally valid pull of both. Very true. Right? Very true. So I think that's the first thing is not getting into an either or mindset. Yeah. You know, in, in, in a lot of my sessions, I stay away from bad, good, those kind of words mm-hmm. because of this very issue. I mean, there's no right or wrong choice here, right? right. Jam or time with a girlfriend. Each one is important to this person. Each one is valid and, and, and necessary for this person. It's just a matter of how do I negotiate both of these values. Mm-hmm to the best of my ability. Yeah. Um, so we came up with a list of things he could try, things he could do, and see to see which one worked best for him, to see which alternative was more functional for him, um, which one allowed for him to feel like he gave attention and time or resources to both equally, or he was able to really kind of walk away from both situations or values feeling pretty good about. Um, and so we get we came up with a list of things for him to try to experiment with. Like what were some of those things? One was, can he just ask his girlfriend, can we go an hour later? Hmm. Right? We can still go to dinner. <gasps> can I get to the gym and then we can go? <laughs> <laughs> Which that was kind of his reaction. I was like, oh God, I don't know, man. I'm laughing because I could see myself doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one option. Okay. The other option was go, go, go to dinner with a girlfriend. That sounds like a really important idea find another time to do a workout, mm-hmm. right? And it may not feel great, <laughs> you know? 
you may have to wait 45 minutes after your dinner, but then maybe you run to the gym and it's late at night. Yes. But you're able to do both. Right. So one was kind of, kind of work his schedule mm. around so that he could still do both. Yep. Maybe. Um, let's see. I can't, I, I got, I got one for you. Yes. It just came to me. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to, <laughs> if you think of yours, bring it up. Um, so one way, one way that this type of dilemma tends to go wrong is when we we assume that we're kind of in it on our own and that we have to figure out independently our own solution to this. Ah. But a lot of times competing values uh, put us in a situation where it's actually a dilemma that that is very understandable to other people. So in this guy's case, I'm, I, I don't know the details, but I would guess that his his wife wasn't of the opinion that he should never work out or that she dinner should always be able to trump working out. Right. Right. So I think when, if all your strategies involve just you trying to figure out something different, you're, you're losing out on a really powerful potential option, which is like as cheesy as it sounds like teamwork, Mm. like just bring it up and say, Mm -hmm. Hey, so I, I have this kind of dilemma. Like, I want to go out to eat with you and spend time with you. Super important to me, obviously. I also really am committed to this this value of kind of getting healthier and going to the gym more, right. which I know you support. So let's kind of talk about it together. Like, what do you think would be a good way to, to work this. that out? Yeah. yeah. I think that's one that's surprisingly easy to miss. The idea of like, well, I could just, what if I just floated the idea generally yeah. with this the person or the, you know, whoever else is involved? Talked about this out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of yeah. get it out there and see what other people think. Yeah. And I love that idea. And I'm, and I'm fairly certain um, I can almost hear some clients, not all clients, but some clients hearing, yeah, you know, I'm just going to tell my partner that them constantly asking me to go to dinner is a problem <laughs> and that they need that we need, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so it Turns into a confrontation. It's kind right. of fun. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, we didn't think of that one. I think what we did is, oh, we invited her to the gym. Wait. Oh, which know, is kind of a version of yeah, it was, what I'm saying. And yeah. that's kind of what it turned into. Actually, what he did is he went home and told his girlfriend, hey, therapist and I were talking about possible solutions to this. I'm going to invite you to the gym. <laughs> and she was like, well, or we could just go later. Or, or you could just tell me. You know, it, it turned out to be totally, totally okay. Fine. Yeah. Yeah and fine um but yeah she t- together they kind of brainstormed a, a few together mm. but that's one now they go to the gym kind of together it's like yeah. a routine that they have mm. on certain days because yeah. i think on certain days she couldn't but it's like yeah on these days we'll go to the gym then we'll go out to dinner afterwards maybe or mm. whatever that is so okay. it turned out okay so this is great i mean this is a, a i think a really when we talk about um part of assertiveness being saying no to what we don't want or putting boundaries up to protect our values from from other things um this first point is that it's not necessarily an either or thing it's not kind of an us versus them sometimes it's it just is about managing equally valid but at times competing values right and negotiating those differences so that i think that's a huge first point is to don't automatically think of it as kind of good bad right wrong black white right like maybe this is more of a negotiation situation yeah, it's amazing what happens when I think human beings kind of struggle on their own internally with a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. We tend to be really good at blowing up problems to be even bigger problems. 
we tend to be really good at assuming we will know the outcomes to all every mm-hmm. step of the way that if we if I do this, they're going to do this, they're going to say that. We're really bad when that takes shape in reality, though. It all seems to line out in our heads, but once reality hits, it tends to be very different. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what about, um, I've, I've got a client, um, or I had, I don't see them anymore, but this is a while ago, but, um, he, and this is another, uh, we talked in the last episode about a, a newly married client. This is another newly married client. Um, he had just gotten married and he had, uh, relocated to where his wife was from. Um, and he had an interesting relationship with his father-in-law <laughs> in that he, he, uh, I don't know how to say this kind of delicately. He, his father-in-law was not a bad guy, but he, he didn't really like him. He, he just found him really annoying and kind of obnoxious. And so he, he kind of, you know, he tried to do his best to, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. tolerate him. Um, uh, and the other part of the conflict though, was that they, they had very dissimilar interests. I mean, just really, really different. Like the, I think the Your father client and the father and the father, oh, okay. but the father-in-law okay. was constantly kind of inviting him to go do things with him. Ah. Very few of which he actually, the father-in-law was really into like shooting, skeet shooting and going to the gun range. And mm-hmm. my client was like, whatever the opposite end of the spectrum from like going to the gun range is, that's where my client was. That's what I don't want to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he was, he kind of felt this pressure of like, I just moved here. I just got married. I, you know, it's important to have good relationships with, you know, with my spouse's family. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he had kind of fallen into this habit of just the father-in-law would call him up and he'd, he'd kind of resign himself to it and just say, yeah, okay, sure. I'll go. So he was constantly, doing all these things that he didn't enjoy with a person he really didn't enjoy spending that much time with. And he was just doing it over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of resentment building up a lot of frustration, a lot, just all sorts of stuff. So that's, that's kind of the, the scenario. Mm-hmm. And so w- when I talked to him about, you know, well, what's your, what's your value in this situation? What would you, what's the right thing for you to do? Like, what would you like to be able to do here? Um, and he, we kind of went back and forth on this quite a bit, but ultimately he decided it's going to be in, I mean, I'm stuck with this guy. He's, he's not Hitler. Like he's not a bad guy. So (laughs) it is important for me to be able to spend some time with him and have a relationship with him. But I want to be able to say no sometimes too, without feeling awful about it. Um, or without just doing it and then feeling awful because I, caved and ended up doing something I didn't like. Yeah. So we found that that was kind of his, his version of assertiveness was going to be, how do I, how do I say no to doing something that I ultimately don't want to do? And this is interesting because he, he has an interesting kind of uh, value issue here, which is he, he, he definitely finds value in having a healthy relationship with his father-in-law. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, there's, there's yeah. something there to it. Sure. However, by his own perception, he's sinking massive amounts of time into a value that doesn't require massive amounts mm. of time for him, right? Like if we did my target exercise and I draw the three rings on the board, he, he's put a cannon hole through the middle of this thing. Like it's, it's, it's overkill. He's, <laughs> every time his father-in-law calls, he's saying yes because he mm. feels like he should because there's a value in there for him. Right. But it's, it's a value that's now taking up a lot more resources 
time, mm-hmm. things like that, then he feels like it should, right? right? So what you're saying is it's fine to keep that value. Let's just scale back the resource devotion to this value a little bit to where you think it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. And to do that, you're going to have to say no sometimes. Right. So how did you do that? So the again, I go back to the, a, a more general strategy of basically break. So t- two important things, I think. The first important thing that we kind of hit on was what made saying no hard for him was it wasn't the actual act of saying no. Like he knew how to say no. Right. He had a decent script for how, whether he was saying like, no, you know, I just don't really feel like it today or I'm really busy or, you know, whatever. Like there were plenty of things he could say and that, that wasn't the problem. Like what to say, what we, what we realized, which he, he didn't really realize, but then, um, it seems obvious in hindsight, but, the problem, the obstacle, the resistance was how he felt anticipating saying no. Uh. So he saw a text from his father-in-law saying, Hey, let's go, you know, let's go to the gun range this weekend. As soon as he saw that text and read that message, he started to feel all this like kind of inner emotional tension. He felt angry that he has to spend so much time with this annoying father-in-law. He felt fear about like, well, if I say no, like what's, you know, is that going to like cause problems with this, my new family, you know? So just lots of, lots of negative emotion. Right. As soon as that text message came in. So I think that was important is that in general, if saying no is hard, it's not saying no, that's hard. It's the emotion that we anticipate resulting from that. That is usually the main obstacle. Okay. And because that emotion starts to feel so bad, we, we basically will do anything, including saying yes to something we don't really want because it gets us out of feeling badly mm-hmm. in the moment. I don't have to feel guilty yeah, or, or just burdened. Yep. I can, I can get rid of that. Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll feel resentful in, you know, in a couple of weeks. But right now, this feels awful and it's going to feel really awful if I actually say no. Just go along so with I'm it. So I'm just going along yes. with it. Yeah, yep. that way you, it's don't too much. F- you don't feel guilty. You and, don't feel- and not only my own feeling, but like he's going to be crushed. He, my father, he's just going to be devastated if I say no. This right? guy, this guy is the center of his father-in-law's world. <laughs> just going to well, devastated. ironically, it was the father-in-law was like <laughs> retired, had zero, like just he just thought he had a buddy. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> anyway, so I think that that is key. Like almost always, it what's the emotion? Like the emotion is usually how you feel or how you imagine other people feeling how you imagine yourself feeling in the future, that's usually the resistance, the obstacle, which led to our strategy was, okay, if if you imagining feeling that badly is what's causing all this resistance to you saying no, let's do some experiments and break it down a little bit. So we basically, like in both of our previous examples, um, we kind of came up with a list of situations where this happens, the father-in-law recommends something or suggests something, and he would like to be able to say no. So we started super simple to, I think one of them was like, the next time you're at, um, you know, at dinner with your in-laws and the father-in-law asks you if you want a beer, say no. Right. That was hard for him, you know? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, Just that. And that was where we picked that one is he... (laughs) And now that, that, but that didn't seem awful. He, he wasn't imagining that his father-in-law's right. spirit would be crushed if right. he turned down a beer. Right. But um, the important thing was we said, okay, how are you, let, let's, before we do anything, like imagine how much 
um, guilt you're going to feel when you say no. And you would say like, well, I don't know. It's not going to be awful, but I'm going to feel, you know, a pretty good amount of guilt. A twinge, yeah. Yeah. And then I'd say like, how long do you think that guilt's going to last? And he'd say like, I don't know, you know, could be as short as, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, maybe the whole night, probably not longer than that. Okay. So we got kind of like a baseline. And then I said, okay, well, let's, let's do an experiment. So what I, what I had him do was go into and he, I mean, his father-in-law always asked him if he wanted a beer, like any nice father-in-law would do, right? <laughs> and he said no. And the task was pay attention to that emotion. How intense is it? And how long does it last? Right. Basically. Intensity duration. Yep. Yeah. And what he, what he found, and we did lots of little experiments like this, and he found that he was substantially overestimating both the intensity and the duration of that emotion. Huh. It was still there. He felt a twinge, but it was pretty minor. And it, it basically evaporated when the next topic of conversation came up. Gone and didn't bother him at all. Right. Yep. And from there, we just worked up. We basically came up with a list of progressively more difficult situations of saying no. And we kind of built, again, sort of built up his emotional tolerance, which really means he learned that while saying no can lead to some uncomfortable emotions, both for him and for his father-in-law, they weren't devastating. Right. They weren't the end of the world. No one got resentful of each other. In fact, everyone ended up being less resentful of each other in the long run. Right. Um, and he was able to strike this balance of saying no sometimes and saying yes sometimes as well, which he maintained his relationship, had a good relationship with his father-in-law, but got got to say no, you know, plenty of plenty of times. Well, and hopefully reshape that relation relationship so that his level of resentment dropped a lot lower because of his ability to say no. Yeah. You know, I often think about that client cause yeah. I, I haven't, I haven't, we kind of stopped working together as basically as soon as that kind of got resolved. But I often wonder what that relationship is like now. now. Yeah. And I, I would, I mean, I'm almost positive. It's certainly better for the, the son-in-law for my client, but I, I, I probably would imagine too, that it's better for everyone all around because you, the father-in-law gets a more, honest understanding of what the son-in-law does yeah. and doesn't enjoy. And if they're ever going to develop activities that they both enjoy together, it's going to require the father-in-law to realize like, Hey, he doesn't like all these things that I typically like. Right. Usually when I ask him about shooting, he says no. Yeah. But if I ask him to do these things, he says yes. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Kind of a normal relationship then. Yeah. So yeah. I would hope that that my client be learning to be able to tolerate saying no would not only make, his life a little bit easier, but might actually open up room for their relationship to get better. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So to play devil's advocate a little mm -hmm. bit, let's say father-in-law gets pissed. Yeah. Father-in-law's like, what the heck? Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm kind of a purist there. And I think sometimes it's better to learn to tolerate guilt, you know, than it is to compromise your values a lot. You know, Okay, double devil's advocate. Okay. <laughs> is it guilt if you're not compromising your values? Guilt is the emotion um, we feel when we do something wrong, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But but you could you could construe him. Let's say let's say he learns to say no to father in law, father in law mm -hmm. gets mad and he feels bad. You know, he mm -hmm. knows his father in law is gonna get mm -hmm. angry and he's like, oh, shoot, I don't want my father in law to feel like that. And I know telling him no is gonna make him feel mm -hmm. mad and it's not that I've done something wrong, it's just upset him and I feel a little guilty. Mm -hmm. Cause I know what I did caused or 
not caused, but what I did impacted him this way. That adds a great question, I think, because it hinges on that idea of cause, Cause, like responsibility. Cause is a weird thing. And that's... But I love telling clients, you know, learning to tolerate guilt gives you so much freedom. It really does. You know, when you're able to say, yeah, you know, I might feel a little bit bad when I tell my father-in-law no and he gets upset because that's kind of his pattern. It's his responsibility that navigating his anger is his deal. But I think I think it's a useful thing to learn to tolerate guilt, to be able to say, yeah, I feel bad, but it's worth my evening with my partner or it's you know, it's worth that for me. So I'm willing to I tolerate like that emotion. So I my quibble with that would be I would say that's not actually guilt. And what I would want to do with my clients <laughs> is reframe, okay, you feel badly that your father-in-law feels badly. Mm. But just because you feel badly, why are you assuming that it's guilt, guilt specifically? Yeah. Now, and, most people would agree guilt is what you feel when you knowingly do something that's wrong or unethical. And so if he does something that, you know, saying no to going shooting, there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. It, it, if I cleaned up my language, I would probably say badly. I feel badly. Yeah. Um, so, but I think clarifying that emotion is, is important. important. Yeah. It's not bad's too general. I, I think it's, you feel sad that your father-in-law is upset. You feel, you might feel afraid at what the re- repercussions are going to be. You might feel, there could be all sorts of other emotions going on there. I'm going <laughs> to, first of all, I like the word quibble, <laughs> but I'm going to, I have a, you're going to requibble. I have a, I have a requibble for you, which is we're double devils advocating and requibbling. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I agree with your definitions. I agree where you drew drew the lines there. I would still argue that a lot of people would say, yeah, I knowingly, I I know I didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. The physical, the emotional experience I'm having feels a lot like guilt though. I call call that hashtag fake guilt. And it, it might be. Well, I don't know if it's fake, but the emotional experience, I think they would color it that way. But we, but I agree with your technical drawing of what it is and what it isn't. You're right. But I think people generally feel, air quotes, guilty. Hashtag um, fake guilt. When they know their behaviors, ideas, expressions have impacted somebody else negatively. Right. Which comes out of a belief that I'm responsible for how other people feel. Right. Definitely. Definitely. And so that I think, it, I'm glad you brought that point up because I think that is the second, that's the... That's the second level of this saying no problem. Ideally, you say no and things go relatively well, actually. Ideally. Right. But as you say, people can respond with um, with anger, right? The father-in-law could have got really angry. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes more mm-hmm. commonly passive-aggressive. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so you mm-hmm. say no and then the father-in-law starts kind of subtly guilt-tripping. Right. You know, like starts making... Well, I'll just go alone by myself exactly. like I always do then. Exactly. Right. <laughs> And so, and this is why I think it's so clear. This is why I really think that the guilt versus other emotions is so important because that's that's the distinction between responsibility for other people's emotions or not. See, I usually go after that. Rather than do the distinction of did you do something wrong or not, which to me doesn't really matter so much. It's more our, the responsibility of emotional experience is a better conversation, I think. I would. That's my quibble. Hmm. Whether, whatever you call that feeling you've got, I don't care. The idea that you're taking responsibility for somebody else's emotional experience is a bigger problem for me. Right. Yeah. 
And I would just, in my experience, helping people learn new vocabulary for that feeling that feels a lot like guilt and that they've kind of trained themselves to think of as guilt. Put a different handle on it. Can give them a, can help them get out of that mindset. Yeah. And start to think about it differently. Remind them of the responsibility issue there. Yeah. 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 I like that. And that's where when I use that term, hashtag fake guilt, it's, it's this kind of funny, memorable thing that helps people in the moment go, oh, wait, did I actually do something wrong? And am I actually responsible for how this person feels? Or, or do I just feel badly that they're feeling badly? See, my quibble would be, it doesn't matter whether you did something wrong or not. You're not responsible for how people feel. Oh, n- no. It, it matters whether you do something wrong. If you punch your father-in-law in the face and he feels badly, you did something wrong and you should feel guilty for that. Maybe, maybe he deserved it. Okay, may, but that's but if he didn't deserve it, if see, you then you mo- get into these funny moral questions about right and wrong, and it's like, eh, I'd just rather everybody be responsible for their own emotional experience. Yeah, but I I think guilt is a perfectly <laughs> valid emotion. When you when you screw up or do something bad, oh, you yeah. should feel guilty. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely right. in that. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, yeah. I think we're on the same page. Yeah, but that's important to clarify. I think for people. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's a really good conversation maybe for another podcast too about mm. how in our culture and maybe cross-culturally there, there's a lot of um, responsibility taking for how other people feel. Mm-hmm. We we, sent, we tend to, uh, there's this band called Fishbone and they have this album mm-hmm. called If You Give a Monkey a Brain, He'll Swear He's the Center of the Universe. <laughs> and, and it's amazing sometimes how we all kind of assume we have so much control over how other people feel or that we're responsible responsibility. Yeah. yeah. For how, but even in how we plan our behavior, you know, we feel like we have some direct access to how people feel all the time and, and mm-hmm. planning and managing people's emotions is impossible. Mm. And yeah, so that would be, a that good would be a good podcast. Yeah. All right, people stay tuned. Stay tuned. (laughs) Hey, everyone. Nick and I really appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please rate us on iTunes if you get a chance. And if you have any feedback or comments for us, that'd be great as well. And if you have any questions or topics you'd like us to cover in the podcast, let us know in the comment section as well. Thanks. Thanks.